problems. So I think that's a good sign that uh, there's, uh, just to let you know, I don't have a PowerPoint presentation, not because of technical problems, but purposefully because I wanted to see the cross. Uh, we, I don't know if you knew there's a cross back there, um, but uh, there's a beautiful cross there, and so I just wanted that for the backdrop this morning. Um, Palm Sunday, and uh, you'll have these palm branches, we're waving them, we'll do it again in the final song again. Palm Sunday, a very important day in the Christian calendar, because it uh, is the day when we honor and celebrate the fact that Jesus entered into Jerusalem, was hailed as a king, even though a week later uh, he was crucified. But then, as the pastor said, that is the, the most important part, a point of our calendar of the year, the truth about Jesus coming to die, but also resurrected and uh, for our salvation. So Jesus rides in on a, uh, we're going to read a text in a few minutes, but just a few introductory. Jesus rides in on a donkey, as we know the story. He's hailed as king, but the story doesn't end there. Shortly after, he goes into the temple courtyard, and I'm sure you're familiar with the story. He chases the vendors, upsets the tables, and chases the vendors from the courtyard. He's supposed to be the king. I hear people in the crowd saying, you call him king? Where's the soldiers? Where's his chariot? Where's his horses? And he's just by himself on a donkey. He's a king? Yet he attacks his own people. He's supposed to be attacking the Romans. If he's really king, how come he's not attacking the Romans? Here he is chasing his own people out of the court, out of the temple. He's a king. There's no army. He's attacking the wrong people. What kind of king is he? What kind of king is this person supposed to be? And this morning we're going to look at that question. What kind of king is Jesus? But we're going to do that by looking at the two major events around Palm Sunday. The entrance into Jerusalem, and then this, what we call the cleansing of the temple. These two events are directly related. They're directly related. My prayer is that as we look at these events, we'll gain a better understanding of what it means when we say Jesus is king, and what it means in my life, in your life, in a practical way when we say Jesus is my king. What does it mean for us in a practical way? So our reading is in the book of Luke, chapter 19. This, uh, the story of, the, uh, of the, uh, the Palm Sunday, of Jesus coming into Jerusalem, is found in all four Gospels. And so you can look it up. Uh, near the end of each Gospel, you'll find the text. Um, and each, each writer of the Gospels brings a certain aspect and looks at it in the common way, but brings different points to it. And so, uh, but we're going to look at Luke chapter 19. And just before we, we uh, yeah, well, we do, I'll read it. And you, you have a Bible in front of you. If you have your Bible, fine. There's a Bible supposedly in the back of the pew. Or you can just listen to the scripture reading as I read it. So it's Luke chapter 19, verses 28 to 48. Luke 19, 28. After Jesus said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples on, on ahead, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it, bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Just say, the Lord needs it. So those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he told them. They're untying the colt. Its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? And they replied, the Lord needs it. 
So they brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. And when he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven, glory in the highest. Now some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And Jesus said, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. And as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. And said, if you, if even you had only known on this day what would bring you peace. But now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you. Encircle you, hem you in on every side. They'll dash you to the ground. You and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you do not recognize the time of God's coming to you. And when Jesus entered the temple courts... He began to drive out those who were selling. It is written, he said to them, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And every day he was teaching in the temple, but the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the leaders among the people were trying to kill him. Yet they could not find any way to do it because all the people hung on his words. Just join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, this is your word that we read, not mine. Not ours, it's your word, your truth. We thank you, Lord, that you are present by your Holy Spirit. Father, by your Holy Spirit, open our eyes, open our hearts, our minds, our souls, so we can receive your word, not mine, but yours, for your honor and glory. Amen. Just a bit of a context here. They were at the end of the public ministry. Jesus had about a three-year public ministry. And uh, near the end of that, he had uh, quite a reputation among the people. As we all know, he was seen as a healer, a good prophet. Um, he had many followers. Shortly before this, maybe a few weeks, he'd raised Lazarus from the dead. Um, in John chapter 11, you can read that. And at that point, that's when the leadership... Uh, in that, at that time, really got serious about trying to find a way to take him out because they thought he was a, a threat. So Jesus withdrew. The scriptures say he withdrew to a village for a short while, a little, small little village, and then waiting for Passover. <clears throat> and Passover being the, the main um, religious uh, festival for the Jewish people because it, it was a, honoring how God passed over them when they were slaves in Egypt and delivered him out of Egypt and brought him to the promised land. <clears throat> so he's waiting for that. Passover starts, and so he comes in on riding on a donkey. And it's in this context that Jesus sends his disciples to go find the donkey, bring it to him, and he enters into Jerusalem. So this is the first major event, his entrance into Jerusalem. And in this, as he enters in, there are several things we can highlight. I'd like to highlight for you. First of all, our king is a king who has compassion. Verse 41. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept. He wept. 
saying, if you only knew, if you only knew, your salvation was here. <laughs> and they didn't. Our king is a king who is not indifferent to our struggles, to your struggles, your pain, your, the circumstances you're in, the situation you may be facing. He is a compassionate and loving king. He is a king, but he's also full of compassion for his people. And this brings out also his human nature. Christ was divine, but he's also human. He took on human nature. He became human so he could identify with us. And Jesus wept over the city of Jerusalem. He's a king who also humbles himself before his people. He comes in a donkey. Imagine, on a donkey. He's not on a big tall horse. He's not in a chariot. He's not surrounded by soldiers. He comes in just on a donkey. Now, I've never ridden a donkey, but I've seen donkeys, and they're not fast. They're not tall. If you're sitting on a donkey, you're at the same height as everybody else. It's very easy just to push you over. It's a sign of humility. It's a sign of humility, his humbleness, how he is there for us. He's not superior. And here's Jesus, creator of the world, of the universe, sustainer of life itself, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, humbling himself before his creation, before the very people he has created, you and I. That is our king. That is our king. Philippians chapter 2, we read this amongst other verses. Philippians chapter 2 says, Jesus Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. That is our king. That is your king. So he's a, hum he's a compassionate king. He's a humble king. But he's also a king who is willing to sacrifice himself for his people. A very important point here. We often say, well, the Jews killed Jesus or the Romans killed Jesus. Yes, technically. But Jesus was not tricked into dying. It was not an accident. Jesus went willingly. He's the king who willingly sacrificed his life for you and for me. John chapter 10, verse 17 and 18 says, The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. The king who was on that donkey coming into Jerusalem knew that he was laying down his life on his own accord. That is our king. I trust he is your king. Do you consider Jesus as your king? Is Jesus your king? And if so, for what reason? Why do you name him king? Why do you call Jesus king? For what is reason? Those people here at the time of Jesus called Jesus king and received him as king for various reasons. 
except the religious leaders, of course. They didn't want anything to do with Jesus as a king because he was going to upset the political balance of power. They had it set. Yeah, they were dominated by the Romans, but at least they had a position of power within that, and Jesus threatened that. And so, of course, they weren't going to call him king. But there's others who thought Jesus was a king, was really going to establish a physical kingdom. His disciples thought that for a while. He would become established kingdom and kick those Romans out, and Israel would be back again as a kingdom as it was in, with David. That was their hope. And that's why they, what they saw in Jesus. Others welcomed him as king because of the good deeds he was doing. He fed the, the poor. Um, he healed the sick. He spoke against the injustices around. He was a good man. He was doing a lot of good things. And so, yeah, we want this guy as our king. Others saw him raise Lazarus from the dead. So they were curious. They wanted to see another miracle. <laughs> Yeah, we'll, we'll take that king. We'll take him as king. See what he can do? And then there were others who truly saw in him the Messiah, that he was the Christ. And they welcomed him as a true king. So why do you call him king? Why do you worship Jesus as king? Why do you receive him as king? What does that mean to you in your daily life? We really don't have a, um, a good concept in our society of what a king really is and the power a king really has. We live in a democracy. If we don't like the person in power, well, we vote him out. <laughs> we vote another one in. But you don't do that with a king. A king is all-powerful. In a real kingdom, the king has the final word. He has the power of life and death over his subjects. He wants your property, he takes your property. He wants you to go there, you go there. He wants you to do this, you do that. He is the king. We don't have that in our psyche, in our comprehension. We're so individualistic. Everything turns around me, right? And so I like it, fine. If I don't, well, I'll change or kick you out or find someone else. In a kingdom, it doesn't work that way. We worship and praise Jesus as the victorious king of kings, and that he is. But as the divine king, the divine king, he also knows who you are. He knows everything about you. He knows all your the good things. He knows your faults, your weaknesses, your strengths. The divine king knows everything about you. Nothing is hidden from him. And that's one of the reasons why people turned against Jesus during his ministry here on earth. They liked him for being a healer, for his compassion, for helping the poor, for taking on the people in power, taking them on and announcing or denouncing their hypocrisy. Yet when he turned his attention to them and put his finger on their faults, on their sin, their hypocrisy, oh, that changed. No, I like it, Lord, when you speak about that person. I like it when those person's faults are revealed. Yeah, go get them, Jesus. But uh, 
whoa, whoa, take it easy on me. Not on me. So what does it mean that Jesus is king of your life? The scriptures elsewhere call this sanctification. It's part of the sanctification. Sanctification means you're holy, set apart. And sanctification is both initial and progressive, which means it has a starting point and it continues. There's a moment in our life as followers of Jesus when we need to say yes to the King of Kings, yes to the Lord of Lords, yes, it is your will, not mine, yes, here is my life, here is my past, my present, my future, it is all yours, I submit completely to you. That is who we need to be, what we need to be saying to the king of kings. I surrender. Here I am. Yes, Lord, what is the question? But this initial act of, or this act of initial submission is also an ongoing act. We need to be living that yes every moment of the day. It's a lifestyle. As we learn to live a life fully submitted to Jesus, it's a continual, yes, here I am. You are my king. The result? His character, his values, his priorities become mine. Not perfectly, because we are in progress, we are growing, but it becomes Christ's life in me not just mine. And that happens at home, in our relationships at home. It happens at work, or is evident, it should be evident at work with our boss and our co-workers, with the strangers, with our neighbors, with whoever, because it becomes practical. And this is the teaching of Scripture. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 says, Be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's being continually filled with the Holy Spirit. Galatians chapter 2, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ, the King, lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's what we're celebrating this time of the year. Romans 12, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, not the pagans, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice on the altar. Not a dead sacrifice. Don't wait till you die. A living sacrifice while you're still alive. Here I am. Yes, Lord. A living sacrifice. Holy, pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And then comes a continuation part. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There's a continuation, the continuation. And then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. We're always saying, what's, what's God's will for, my, for me, for my life, my people, my family, my church? What's God's will? There it is. Offer your life as a living sacrifice. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And you will be able to discern what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So you call Jesus your king? 
Are you living as though you're a subject of the king of kings? <laughs> Is it evident in your life? At home? In private? In public? You have to answer that question. So the second major event is Jesus cleanses the temple. Now here's Jesus. Imagine the scene, okay? Jesus, who is seen as someone who is humble and compassionate, he comes riding in on a donkey into Jerusalem, and then he goes through the town, uh, the city of Jerusalem, and he makes his way to the temple, and he gets angry. Now, we, we, we sugarcoat those words with righteous indignation, right? We don't want to see Jesus got angry. We'll say he was, it was righteous indignation, but let's call it what it is. Jesus was angry. He was upset. He was frustrated. Not our typical image of Jesus, Right? When you hear about Jesus or pictures we see, there's Jesus with children around him or holding a lamb or feeding the, th- the people or, or healing someone. But the image of Jesus walking through a marketplace, flipping over tables, taking a whip and whipping the people. Is that the image you have of Jesus? Not the one I usually have. <laughs> Actually, I was tempted to put a table up here and flip it over, but I figured it might be a little too much. So... <clears throat> But that's what Jesus did. Why did he do that? What's going on? To understand that, we have to understand the construction and purpose of the temple. Last Sunday, Pastor Mario, in his message on the book of Hebrews, referred to the temple of the Holy of Holies and how it was set up. And the temple had at that center of the holy place, and in that was the Holy of Holies. This is where the sacrifices were performed, where the temple, the priest would go and offer the sacrifices. That was kind of the, the, the heart of the temple, okay? In front of that is where the Jewish Israelites could come and worship. They were not allowed in there, but they could come up to it and see most of what was going on, the men and then the women. But if you were not an Israel, uh, Israelite, you weren't even allowed there. Gentiles, that's the non-Jews, were not allowed into that, that part. And so there was what is called an outer courtyard. It was huge. It was called the, the courtyard of the Gentiles. Why? Because they were also invited to come worship the Lord. But that was their spot. And they too could come and worship God from this courtyard. And that was God's plan, that the people of Israel were to be witnesses to the world of God's grace, of his holiness, his compassion, his righteousness. Genesis chapter 12 Abraham, uh, God promises Abraham and says to Abraham, I will bless you. And what did he continue to say? And all the nations of the world, all the peoples of the world will be blessed through you. See, the promise of the blessings of God to the people of Israel was not just for them. God has a plan 
to reach the nations of the world. His plan was to use the people of Israel, the nation of Israel at that time, so they would be the light of the world. They would be the testimony that there's a God, a loving, holy God, who, who's there and wants to forgive them and wants people to come to know him. It was through the people of Israel. And so he had the courtyard of the Gentiles. Symbolize that. But what happened when Jesus showed up at that time, and it had been there for quite a while, it became a marketplace. Now, you have to understand, there's Jewish people, Israel, Israelites, coming from all over the Roman Empire, coming from Rome, um, uh, Greece, and uh, Southern Europe, North Africa. They'd all come to Jerusalem at different times to worship. Because going to Jerusalem and worshiping God in Jerusalem at the temple um, was very important. At least you had to do it, you can't do it every, day, uh, every year, but once in a while you're to come and do that. And Passover was the appropriate time. So they would come, and just like you, when you travel, when you travel outside of Canada, what do you do? Well, the first thing you do is change your money, right? Because our beautiful, colorful money isn't worth a lot in other countries. So you change the money into the local currency of where you're going to go. Well, these folks would come and to worship God at this, the, in the temple, <clears throat> either lamb, a dove, or grains or whatever, they, they had to purchase certain things for their act of worship. But they had their own kind of money. And they weren't going to bring a lamb from, from Rome. They were going to buy it there. And so they had to change the money and they had to buy the things necessary for them to worship God. And so people started saying, hey, we'll change your money. And others said, well, I got a lamb for sale or I got a dove and you can buy from me. And it was a very, very important here, a very valid important service that was being offered to the Jewish people. It was not wrong what they were doing. It was very valid. It was helping people worship the Lord, right? Who can speak against that? Well, Jesus did. <laughs> not what they're doing, but where they were doing it. Where they were doing it and the impact that that had on the whole, his plan. So he turned the courtyard of the Gentiles <clears throat> into a marketplace rather than a place of worship for the Gentiles. Do you get the difference? In their zeal, in their effort to, to provide a valid service for others, that place became a marketplace rather than a place of worship. So when asked why he was turning over the tables, Jesus quoted Isaiah 56. Isaiah 56, he quoted a verse from there. Isaiah 56 talks about non-Jews, the non-Israelites, you people like you and me, the Gentiles, coming to worship God. Those who put their faith in God, their trust in God, even though they are not part of the Jewish people, Isaiah 56 talks about that, and here we read verse 6. And foreigners, that's, non, that's the Gentiles, who bind themselves to the Lord, to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants, who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it, hold fast to my covenant, these, the foreigners, I will bring to my holy mountain. 
and give them joy in my house of prayer. Isn't that great? Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for the nations. That's the context. That's what Jesus quoted. Maybe not all of it, but that part. So rather than in participate, participating in God's plan to reach the nations, the people focused just on themselves and on the blessings that God had given them. You know, sometimes a half-truth is worse than no truth at all. Let me explain. A half-truth leads to the false thinking that I'm doing okay. I, I, I'm fine. See, house of prayer for all the nations, house of prayer is, a, is half the truth. It's, it's, it's true. But if you stop there, you're missing the other half. And then what happens? We become focused just on ourselves. And that's what happened here. It's a house of prayer. Thank you, Lord. We have our temple. We got our religious practices. We're doing good. Thank you, Lord. This is great. But they're missing the other half. That they're there for to be a blessing for the nations. Blessing for the nations. And that is why Jesus was angry. And chased the merchants from the courtyard of the Gentiles. They were missing out on the most important part of that teaching being God's witnesses to the nations. Telling others, showing others that God is there. He's a holy God, but he's a loving God. And wanted them to come be part of his family. See, when you and I get angry, well, I don't know if you get angry, but when I get angry, it's all about me, right? It's all about us. My rights I've been waiting 10 minutes for that parking spot, and you just stole it from me. You know how much money he cost me? That was supposed to be my job, my promotion. It's my reputation on the line. You hurt my feelings. Come on, give me a break. All I want is some peace and quiet. I've been busy all day. See, it's all about me, right? We get angry because... My rights, whatever have been offended or affected. Now, listen, we are created, God created us with emotions. God has created you with emotions. Joy and happy and singing, but also the emotion and passion that we express as anger, where we get upset about something. Anger, anger is a valid human emotion. Very good when expressed on behalf of others. Not very good when it's expressed for our selfish reasons. Jesus, rightfully angry, which we call righteous indignation to make a distinction from our sinful anger, but Jesus, rightfully angry, upsets the tables, chases the people out of the courtyard, not for himself, but because people around the world, the nations, were not hearing about the love of God. And that's why he went in. So do you call Jesus your king? 
If so, do you understand that his heart is for the nations? Each and every one of them, including your neighbor, your boss, your coworker, the immigrant who moved in next door, people in the news, those people that we may not, not might, that we may not like that much. God's heart is for them as much as it is for anyone else. You see, Jesus the king decides the plan. Jesus the king decides what to do. Jesus the king, it is his will, not mine. And it's his will that we're to be focused on, not ours. Now, God has blessed each of us abundantly, right? We always say that. We praise the Lord for that. We pray that. We sing that. The blessings of the Lord. Rightly so. Please understand, I'm not speaking against the blessings of the Lord. The Lord has blessed my wife and I so many ways beyond what we deserve. Material, financial, health, skills, talents, gifts, relationships, as a prayed, uh, person prayed, the country you live in, the freedoms we have to worship, so many blessings that we enjoy. But are we intentional in how we use those blessings so that others may come to know the love, the life we can have in Christ? the love of God, his forgiveness? Or do we see those blessings as, oh, thank you, Lord, this is great, I pretty appreciate it? Or are we intentional in the way we use and seek ways to bless others so they may know? See, that is the teaching of Scripture, Psalm 67, verse 1 and 2. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us. Isn't that great, Isn't that great prayer? Pray that prayer for others. It's great prayer, but please don't stop there. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among the nations. And that's why I'm wearing this tie, <laughs> all the flags on it. The nations, so that the nations may know. See, the people of Israel at the time of Jesus lost focus. They were satisfied with what they had, their temple, religious practices, but they lost sight of the mission that God had given them to bless others so they could come to know the truth and come and fill up that courtyard of the Gentiles. See, that was, that was the purpose of it. The courtyard of the Gentiles would be full, not of merchants, <laughs> but of people worshiping the Lord. So do you call Jesus your king? Are there valid religious practices that distract you from participating fully in reaching the nations? Have you become complacent? Satisfied with only that which pleases you, those things that benefit you? Have we become complacent, satisfied with only that which pleases us for those things that benefit us? Have we lost sight of the mission that God has given us? 
Are there any tables in your life that need to be thrown over, tipped over? That are hindering you from accomplishing what God has called you to do? Only you can answer that leading in the direction of the Holy Spirit. And maybe there's some things in our lives that need to be upended, tossed out, so that we can be more effective in accomplishing what God has called us to do. Priorities, values, activities, actions, personal plans, you name it. So do we have a clear understanding of what the mission is that the King of Kings has entrusted to us? Are we actively involved in reaching nations for Christ using the resources that he has given us, he has blessed us with? Are we intentional individually, but also collectively as a church in our efforts to participate in the plan, in his plan, his plan to bring the good news of Jesus Christ to the nations, in whatever way that God calls us, in whatever way God has for you, is that a focus, is that our focus, and are we intentional in that? Or are we allowing other things, good in themselves, to creep in and distract us from that ultimate goal, the ultimate mission and plan that God has? I started off the message by saying we're going to look at the question, what kind of king is he? Well, that's the kind of king he is. <laughs> and we looked at these two major events, his entrance into Jerusalem, his cleansing of the temple. He entered into Jerusalem as a king of kings, a lord of lords, but humble. He humbled himself, a compassionate king, willingly, willingly giving his life and calling us to worship him and acknowledge him as King of kings and Lord of lords in all areas of our lives. And he cleansed the temple. Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords, the creator of the universe, sustainer of life, invites us to be part of his plan to reach the nations with the good news of Jesus Christ and not become distracted if I may dare say this by church. Not distracted by those things that we may say are good, but keep focused on his plan. Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, is he truly king of your life? Is he truly king? Of your life. This means to humble ourselves before him, to submit our, submit our will to his will in all areas of our life. And this means that the blessings he has given us, we will use to bless others so they could come to know the King of Kings. May the Lord grant us a better understanding of what it means to submit our lives to Jesus as the King of Kings and be more intentional in our efforts to participate in God's redemptive plan for the nations. Let's take a few moments just to personal prayer, reflection.
Answer this question, not to me, but to the Lord. Is Jesus truly king of my life? And let the Holy Spirit continue his work of teaching. And I will close in a prayer. So our Heavenly Father, here we are bowed before you with grateful hearts for the privilege you've given us to know you as Savior, for knowing your Son, Jesus, forgiveness of sins, new life in him, for your Holy Spirit who empowers us teaches us and guides us through the day-to-day events of our lives so that we can do it in a way that's honoring to you. We acknowledge you as King of kings, Lord of lords. Hear our prayers. Hear the prayers, Lord, of your people this morning. Prayers of confession, the prayers of praise, the prayers of, of help. Receive those prayers Answer those prayers for your honor and glory. We praise you for your love, for your compassion, for your holiness, for all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, before the benediction, let's all stand. You've all received... No, why don't you join me? I'll hold the mic and you hold the palm. (laughs) So you've all received the palm. And as we... uh, Sing Hosanna, we'll just raise our palms and uh, praise our Lord. Amen.